Good evening, everybody. You are looking live. Well, you're actually probably just staring at uh, whatever you're doing right now, because you're probably not looking at this, but you are here inside the distance with Ernie Green, part of Grantwood Productions, changing the way we're doing things in Hollywood and whatnot. So my name is Ernie Green. This is Inside the Distance. We have a fun week this week. I have a good friend of mine who is manager of the boxing business, and he has managed past, present, and future world champions. It's going to be really excited to talk to him today. And we got up. Oh, we got Kyle Johnson who jumped in. That's that's solid. What up, Kyle? And he's always got the Weird Sports Illustrated coverage, JC, which is, no, you can't speak just yet, Kyle, soon. But anyway, we are here with Jerry Cesares from First to Flight Management, a.k.a. JC. How are you? Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Ernie. Happy to be here. Before we get started, I have one quick, very important question for you. Are you in California tonight or the Japan? Yes. I, no, I, I am in California tonight. <laughs> I am back. You're not in the Japans. Okay. Not in the Japans anymore. Not in the Japans. Timothy Bradley will be very happy to hear that. So you were actually this weekend, I want to get eventually get into your career and everything you're doing because you're doing a ton of great things and you're a, a prominent member of the chat and we all appreciate you. So you were at the uh, Teofimo Lopez uh, Compa fight this weekend. What was your impressions about not only his fight, but the entire card in general because there were a lot of young prospects on that card it's uh one of those things where all these prospects got a chance to step up in different type of uh, challenges maybe against guys that had previously had never been knocked out or guys that were considered on paper a stiffer test and the, i think the first half of the card those guys were challenged and they all won but there was there was something there that the matchmakers and the powers that be at that top ring could go ahead and look at it and continue to develop and make adjustments to where they feel that their fighters are at. The top part of the main card, I thought Xander looked really great. He was making up for lost time. He had missed out on that June Madison Square Garden card. So I think he came out and he looked like a guy that was, had something to prove. So I thought he looked great. He stopped a guy that had previously never been knocked out and then set the stage for Teofimo with the main event. So coming off his loss to to Cambosis and you know I thought it was a perfect opponent for him someone that was going to be in front of him if he wanted to find him and I thought he adjusting 140 pounds and trying to figure things out and he closed the show when he wanted to so it was a it was a, it was a great card is Xander to me I think Xander Zayas is the best prospect in boxing and might I say prospect under 21 is there anybody who even rivals him in that department I think he's he's the closest to breaking out from prospect to to contender and that bodes well for him because he picked up a his fight was an eight-round fight he picked up a one of these WBO titles for him like a junior title that's going to put him in a position to get ranked and, and he's going to be a problem at 154 pounds he can really go ahead and, and cause some problems for a lot of fighters he does a good job of picking his punches mixing them up well goes to the body and head and is really still growing in to his body because into his man strength because he's a kid so i'm impressed i'm a, I'm a fan of the kid i think he he's got a bright future <clears throat> who's been in the boxing business for a very long time and you still are now obviously how much better can you evaluate talent like when you're in the crowd close up to the ring like you were on saturday as opposed to like watching it on tv what nuances can you pick up that you can't pick up on tv it's just little things that you probably wouldn't pay attention to the tv because you might be distracted with things going on around you if you're at home or if you're out and about you know a bar or somewhere where you depend on where you're watching like i'll pick up on like the placement of the feet, the reaction, if they're how well they're measuring distance, if they're going ahead and making subtle little mistakes, if they're tipping away their punches, 
Just little things like that, I could see them. And also when they walk back to the corner, how's the conditioning? As the fight goes past four or five rounds, where's their conditioning at? How are they walking back to the corner? How's the breathing? Is it heavy breathing? Just little things like that. And it, it tells you a lot about where a fighter's at in his career and how serious he takes his craft. Yeah. Having said that, where do you see Teofimo Lopez after his comeback fight? Where is he Where is he right now in terms of the total package after watching him up close? I, he had been in a physical fight with the Cambosas. And like anyone, you want to go ahead and see the guy get a chance to get his feet wet again. And I thought he did that with Kampa, Pedro Kampa. And I'd like to see him now in a fight. We've got some kind of weird situations here where <clears throat> we have all the guys that are the real deal established at 140 pounds. These guys are either contenders for the world title or are former world champions or current world champions. Those guys, we all know who they are, the Josh Taylors, the Ramirez's, the Zapatas, the Arnold Barbosa's, guys like that. Then we have uh, a couple of prospects that want to be contenders and uh, maybe start at one weight, but have now by hooker by crook ended up in the 140-pound division, guys like Ryan Garcia. Look, if that fight can be made, I know he has intentions of wanting to fight for one of these Josh Taylor belts that are out there and available. But I think if you can make the Ryan Garcia fight, you make it because it's an easy fight to make if both parties on the promoter side sit down and work it out. And I think it's a big fight once it gets made because the fans will have interest in one guy or the other and someone's going to get knocked out. (laughs) So Yeah, yeah. Like the fight to make, uh, managerial or promotional hangups is definitely Tank Davis versus Ryan Garcia. I think Ryan Garcia versus Teofimo Lopez is a big fight that is actually doable. I just don't. I, I think that both. I think both Golden Boy and PBC are going to get in the way. Neither. Right. I have no doubt my my mind that Ryan Garcia wants to fight Tank Davis, but I have no doubt in my mind that Tank Davis wants to fight Ryan Garcia. I just don't see the two promotional companies wanting that to happen because they don't want to lose their big star. And they're going to make up every excuse in the book to make that, to, unfortunately, to make that happen. Yeah, but, listen. Right? You go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, listen, when you get a world title on a fighter, on the business side, the money is in the fights. So title defenses and optional defenses where it's a bigger fight, things like that are always going to go ahead and be good for the fighter and good for the whole team, right? Because everybody's going to make more money. That's, that's the manager's job. You want to build a career. You want to make money here. The problem is that it's not only the managers, it's also the promoters and everyone else that has that vision. And I wouldn't even say there's agenda because that's just smart business. But Tank, we really don't know the situation with him and his promoters. If it's that deal's over, if it's on a fight to fight. And I'm sure to satisfy him, they're probably going to tell him, look, we'll continue making you these kind of purses and uh find you the, the least amount of resistance right i understand their point there but fans want to see fights and at some point fighters are competitive they want to challenge themselves and i just don't know that those two promoters can go ahead and promoters and managers everybody involved can make that fight happen so i think the fight that you can make is teofimo and ryan and if that fight happens someone's going to get knocked out and the fans are going to leave happy the fans are the winners yeah absolutely and i think that's a fight where i think t- i honestly i think at the end of the day Teofimo's next fight's going to be Barboza, and I'm okay with that because that's a really good, fair, solid test at 140 to see where he actually is at 140, even though I'd rather see Ryan Garcia. JC, as someone who's a manager who sees both sides, like you're obviously a lifelong boxing fan, but you're obviously in the business. Like, How do you kind of balance like seeing both sides of the equation? Because again, your job is to make the most money for your fighters and get them the most belt, but also as a fan, you want to see the best fight. So how do you 
reconcile that with your, both of your worlds like colliding in that fashion? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I, when big fights happen, someone's got to lose. And it's there's ways where you can satisfy everyone involved. When you, the, the obviously, when you sit down to negotiate a fight like that, you make sure that the juice is worth the squeeze, as I like to say. And you negotiate the bigger purse. A fighter walks away happy that they're being compensated a number that they that's going to make them feel good about things. And then they're willing to take the risk because they know it's a fight. If we had played it safe, we would have went ahead and had Jamal do any other thing at 130 pounds or maybe explore 135 even sooner. But look, the fight to make was with Shakur and the fans that wanted to see it and then the promoter wanted to see it and everybody, okay, we made a deal and, and Jamal had to fight and somebody was going to lose and it just happened. That's just boxing. But both fighters were compensated and it was okay. It was okay. The show goes on. So I think that's the same thing here. And, and I think Tio, maybe the, the monkey's off his back that he did lose that fight to Cambosis and now he can, he's got some chip on his shoulder and maybe some hunger again that he hasn't felt in a while. And look, I'd love to see that fight with him and Barbosa is a good fighter and if they make that fight, that's a fun fight. Sign me up. Yeah. How, how un, in your opinion, is both on a managerial and fan side, how unfair is it that someone challenges themselves? Like Jamel did against Dakota Stevenson. Like Canelo yeah. did against Dimitri Bivol. You challenge yourself, you lose, and like people like boxing fans, not all boxing fans, I don't think all boxing fans are dumbasses, but you got a pocket of people like, oh, he was exposed. There's a dumb, there's a group of dumbass boxing fans will say that anytime someone gets hit. Like, oh, he's been exposed. Oh my goodness, the guy got punched in the face. First one ever to get exposed. But how uh, how unfair is it to boxers, you know, that like one, how many people can name anybody's record ever? You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like name Manny hey. Pacquiao's record. Nobody can. Or name Dave Hoya's. How unfair is it that, that boxers get, for lack of a better term, shit on for taking big challenges and then failing? Yeah, look, back in the day, they used to say that by the time you fought for a world title, you hadn't lost, then something was wrong with you. Like, the, you were hiding something. I think it's uh, it's one of those things that where a uh, loss doesn't define you. I think if you fight the best in the world, someone's going to lose. There's going to be a winner. It's competition, it's sport. Jamel always did what a lot of people weren't willing to do, and that's fight. Shakur is a generational talent. He's a great fighter, a great young champion, and there's no shame in that. And then Jamel wanted to know. He wanted to challenge himself. He wasn't willing to give up his belt or step aside or do any of that. So it's a proud guy. And then stuff like that, you applaud because... That's good for the sport. And a lot of people were surprised at the way that, you know, Jamal fought. Because if you really look at it, Jamal's actually fought Shakur tougher than anyone else has. I think he's landed the most shots on Shakur in that fight than anyone else has landed. And it was just because at some point, it's a fight. And Jamal just decided, listen, we're not going to box anymore. We're going to fight. And uh, it is what it is. I think more fans need to embrace the fact that their favorite fighter could lose any given day. And uh, it's okay if, if losing is not acceptable with the athletes because they're proud fighters and proud champions. It's okay if it happens because it's it's competition. Someone's going to win and someone's going to lose. It's natural. Yeah, absolutely. So, JC, tell the listeners your story, how you how your history with boxing and how you eventually came to be a manager. Like, how did that all start up? Sure. I grew up in boxing. My father was a fighter, over 100 fights in his career, and fought some Hall of Famers. He fought. He had a rivalry with Lewis Kid Kaplan, Hall of Fame, featherweight. So his fights were at the Garden and a lot of cool venues like that. Growing up, I knew my father was a fighter. They probably didn't want for me to <laughs> get involved in, uh, in in boxing. I was going to do it. I was going to go and do it because it, I love the sport. And I was like, 
uh, I'm gonna go ahead and do this. I wanna I wanna box. I wanna fight. And like a lot of young fighters, I fell in love with the sport and I competed until I, from I think I don't know what was that maybe seven eight till about the time I was like maybe twenty twenty one twenty two, and then I had some injuries so required surgery. Had a broken ankle, torn knee, and I had to listen to my body that I need to take some time off and get well. And it was during that time that I think it was 2000 Olympics when I watched it. And I had a lot of friends that were turning pro, had friends that were pros. And being around the gym, you just hear complaints about bad management, right? <laughs> the, mis- the, the use and abuse of fighters. And that was something that I didn't like. I didn't like it. It didn't sit well with me. And my, my background is in marketing and business. So that's what I went to school for. And also, I have background in communication, so I wanted to help. I wanted to help fighters. The more full discretion, I, I spent years as a as a journalist going ahead and covering the sport, and really got to meet a lot of the people that I grew up as seeing as decision makers in the sport, and people that were the promoters, or sanctioning organizations, everybody involved. Got to see all these people and meet them, and that's where I started forming a lot of the relationships that, till this day, I use in my using my and, and my regular means of communications or business that, for my fighters. I've had some, I've had the privilege of working with uh, some really good fighters. Actually, Saturday, I saw, uh, I was there with Sinisa Estrada, super bad. We were announcing that she's signed now with top rank and she's going to be fighting soon in November. And uh, when we were there, we might've been there a few minutes and I felt somebody grab my shoulder from behind. And it was one of my first mentors in the business, as far as on the business side, management side, Sergio Diaz. Sergio, to a lot of fans, may recognize him from the years that he was the manager for Antonio Margarito. And, and he's also a lot of the fighters that I used to see on the old KCAL 9 series, the forum boxing that used to wear Sietamares, which is the seven seas. It's a seafood chain restaurant in Southern California. He sponsored all those fighters. That was his chain of restaurants, and he sponsored them. And he had guys like Sota Karaz and a lot of other fighters out of the that foreign boxing stable that had fought, and he had sponsored them, and he managed. So it was cool. Like It was good to see him, and things went full circle because he acknowledged that I had come a long way, and obviously now I have fighters of my own that are signing with the likes of top rank. It, it, it's a good feeling. I, like I said, I mentioned Jamel Herring. He's, he's also another world champion that I've had the privilege of working with. And on both sides of things, number one, as a fighter from our time together at the PPC, and then when we came over to top rank, and then also, and now he's, he's my partner in the first fight management. And, and we manage our own fighters that we manage together. Fighters like Makaya Krebs, uh, Misiel Lopez, which is fighting on the Shakur Stevenson card and on on ESPN Plus in September. And then we also have Matthew Rodriguez that we co-manage. And we just signed some, we're working on some more fighters that we're going to go ahead and add. And to the stable, we also have Michael Gamble from Cincinnati, Ohio. He's in a young and defeated featherweight. It's good to have fighters that I'm actually really close to finalizing deals with. And I might drop a name or two before we, we're done here. <laughs> well, that, that'd be awesome if you like actually like sign somebody as we were on the phone. That'd be funny. <laughs> that'd be great. So. Before we get talking about Micaiah, sure. for me, I was telling Micaiah this, that like every time that I could post like 30 boxing articles about the article that I wrote about Micaiah's last fight got more views in her region than my article on Wilder Fury 3, which is wild to think about. But that's how popular she is in Niagara Falls. And I want to get to her because I think people want to hear about her. But in 
for first the flight management, what would sure. be the sweet spot of how many, like the most fighters, best number of fighters to manage without having too many? What's like the, per, what would be like a perfect number for you to manage? It's tough to say because when I got into the business side of it, I did it because I was genuinely interested in helping fighters and I wanted to go ahead and, uh, and I knew I could help them because I understood business and numbers and just marketing and things like that. And then I, I obviously have knowledge of boxing and the way that not only from the business side, but also as a sport because I was a competitor myself as a fighter and I understand the matchups and what's considered a calculated risk and what's considered a foolish risk. When I sign fighters and I talk about, hey, I want to sign this fighter, we want to work with them. It's a process. I don't do it. I don't want to be ever in the numbers game where I have a stable that's too big to give anyone all the attention that they require. So I kind of like having a, a nice small stable. And like I said, I have Jamel and I together. We have Micaiah, Misiel, Matthew, Rodriguez, Michael Gamble. And uh, that alone right there, that's four fighters. And uh, that keeps both me and Jamel busy. And then myself and my, my attorney, Gary Gittleson, slash partner, we and him handle the Strata super bad. And, and then I've gotten Gary out of gotten Gary out of retirement and really gotten him to commit to, to going ahead and trying to do this again because Gary doesn't do this because he wants, for the money he does it because he loves the fighters. And Gary's had some very legendary fighters himself. He's had uh, the likes of Junior Jones and Mark Breland and Rosendo Alvarez. And so it's one of those things where we don't want to play the numbers game. We just want to do what feels right. So when we add a fighter or two, it's because we think it's the right thing to do. We can give them the necessary attention that they require to, to really build their careers. Awesome. So, Micaiah, how did JC from L.A. find Micaiah from Niagara Falls? How did that process work out? You know what? That is a good question. I'm glad you asked that. That's a good question. So, what happened is that Micaiah is year where she's a phenomenal little fighter from upstate New York, Niagara Falls. Buffalo area. And Micaiah, Jamel, and I had been scouting her since about pre-pandemic, so maybe 2017 or 2018. And we knew that she was that, that she was a good fighter because just when I talked to her the first time and actually had a conversation with her and her mom, and the first thing that I ever remember thinking was like, she's a serious little girl. And she's not, I, I just mean that in the most respectful way she's she's very serious she's serious about her craft and i just like the way that she puts on her boots and goes to work like she's no nonsense and uh, once we signed her and we started going in and working together and figuring out okay what are the this is the part for that a lot of people don't understand that management also has to do what can we do to make you a better fighter how can we improve you as a fighter and one of those things was that you know she had wanted to go ahead and uh, get better sparring and and then just be in the position where she could really just focus on fighting. And we started talking about her working out here in the West Coast. And we started talking about different trainers. And Manny Robles, a friend of mine, which I'm high on. And I thought that he was going to work with Jamel for his camp. And so that kind of all came together. I brought We brought Makaya. Well, Makaya was the first one that I agreed to work with Manny because me and Jamel flew Makaya out here. She came. She met Manny Robles. They hit the mitts for a while, and it was like instant. They had chemistry. And Manny kind of understood, okay, she hits hard. Let's see. And then once he had a full camp with her, or the last camp that they had together, um, when he came back, we were sitting down. We had dinner, and he just told me, hey, man, she's a special fighter, man. That that little girl is special. And I said, 
thanks, man. I, and it was just him realizing the skill set she had and the fact that she's able to learn things and then apply them. We have fighters that they call what good gym fighters all the time, but she had the ability to actually take what she's learned in the gym and apply it in a fight and execute. And that's a really rare, rare trait, especially with young fighters, you know, because sometimes when you're coming over from the amateurs, you get stuck in amateur style and you never evolve from it. But Namakaya, she's a, <laughs> she has a style that's built for the pros and she likes to punish her opponents. So it's, it's fun to watch. And I think fans are in for a treat with her when she fights again and as her profile keeps on growing. Yeah, obviously, I've talked to Micaiah about stepping out of her comfort zone and how she wanted to stay in Niagara Falls, but she uh, she listened to you and she went out to see Manny and work with Manny, and now she's like, I can't wait to get back. She listened to you about changing her nutrition, and in my opinion, she looks better than ever cosmetically, physically, in the ring, out of the ring. How much does that mean to you when someone is not only talented and driven, but also open to grow how big is that for you and how much easier does that make your life as a manager it means a lot listen i was with her in tennessee we were in murfreesboro tennessee she was supposed to make her debut for Bella entertainment and she she was going to make her tv debut and she had a little hiccup with her weight and as jamel said it that night we all took an l as a team and we went to bat for her and i really felt like man She's never had this happen before. Women's bodies are different, but it's just one of those things where she had a problem with her weight. And it was something that was really correctable because Micaiah, anyone that really gets to know her, understands that she's a homebody. She goes to gym. She comes home from the gym and she goes ahead and like chills out. She, she eats clean. She eats clean during the whole camp. She's disciplined about her food. And so it was just a miscalculation on things that could be corrected. She spoke with our nutritionist, perfecting athletes, and uh, she was able to get some education and, and apply it to herself and corrected those issues. And the rest is history. It makes my job easier. Um, I like having a friendship, a relationship with my fighters because I want to know that if they, they need something or, or they, something's bothering them, then we can talk. And Makai's my friend, so we can talk. And we got past that situation. And I just like the fact that she's open-minded because I told her, listen, I've had world champions. And if you do the things you have to do correctly and you listen to us, you will be my next world champion. And I think that's going to happen a lot sooner than later. And it's fairly soon, I think in the next, what is this right now, August. So probably in the next maybe six, seven months, she'll be a world champion. So JC, as a manager, maybe not friend would be the word, but how, and I understand you are friends with Makai and I think that's great. And I know you're friends with Sanisha and whatnot. How important is it maybe not just to be a friend, but just to be someone that they can count on professionally and personally to develop the relationship to where you can have those tough conversations with them. So it's not coming from a position of being a jerk, but coming from a position like, hey, I'm here to I'm here on the same page to help you reach your goals. Yeah, it's good communication. And that's just being an adult. And I learned things from them, too. I'm not a uh, I'm not perfect. I'm a human also, but I'm not too old to not. Learn things from her, from knowledge. Jamal's a little younger than I am, and I learned things from Michelle and from us. And it's just, it's good communication and just a lot of honesty. It's got to be a lot of honesty because when we have tough conversations, whether it's professional, personally, anything, it's like, hey, look, let's talk about this or let's figure this out. And it's because at the end of the day, people, and I care, and I'm in the people business because these are special people that have a job that's different than most everybody. They're fighters and they're just, they're, they're, 
their world a little different and you just be, you have to be able to go ahead and connect with them and understand and have good communication. And as long as you have regular dialogue, then I think that bodes well to, to being able to go ahead and have a long lasting relationship that's built on honesty, respect, and just everyone understanding that, hey, listen, they have a job to do and I have a job to do. And if we're all on the same page, then good things happen. Impressed were you by her improvement in just a really short span of a training camp with Manny the first time in her last fight? I would go almost every night. I'd be done with work. I'd go ahead and, and head over to their strength and conditioning session. So I would catch her and Jamel. They were both in camp together. And I would go and watch them work with the strength and conditioning coach. And oh man, listen, I know what hard work is. I've seen fighters in camps training for world titles. And she was working hard, man. She was working really hard. And uh, and was making improvements in the camp. I think that, like you said, she got out of her comfort zone where she's a boss at home and, and called the shots. And here she knew that there's a regimen and there's a structure and method of the madness to get them from one point to another. And she kept rolling with the punches. So I was really proud of her. And uh, I'm glad that it goes a long way. It serves her well as a human and as a person because she, she got a chance to experience a training camp in California. Now she can't wait to get back out here. And she knows that because she did all the right things for this last fight, that it got her on the fast track to a world title shot. And, how, and not only did she look great in her fight and she overcame a cut and she she got the TKO victory, she also brought a lot of people for a such a small card. How in, in comedy, like the big thing is every, everything's a bringer show. You know what I'm saying? Like people go, oh, I won't do this show because a bringer show. Guess what? Every show in show business is a bringer show because if you don't bring people, whether, you know what I'm saying, if you don't bring people, the promoter's not going to have you back. And in boxing, it's the same thing. You can be the best fighter in the world, but if no one comes to your shows, the promoters don't really care. You know what I'm saying? So for you as a, and nor should they're not, you're not in business to lose money. Promoters aren't in business to lose money. So as someone who saw the crowd that she brought out in her third fight, how big is that also to her career? It's huge, man. Listen, she's from, like I said, that region of New York. She's proud of it. She's uh, She wants to represent for her city or town. And and she wanted to give the fans that came out to support her something to go home happy about. And she did. She closed the show. She broke her opponent's rib. Her opponent had to had a wave the white flag. And it's beautiful because to see that much support for her, Micaiah, this early in her career, is a beautiful thing. And and then she even had local celebrities and people like Benny the Butcher, the hip-hop artist that from Buffalo, which is nearby, he came out and supported her and showed her a lot of love. And I just thought that was great because that's that's all organic. That's her just showing everybody, look, I'm working hard and I'm going to come and give you guys a show when I fight. And she did that, man. So I'm really proud of her. I've had good talks with her that told her that, look, we're so close to getting you where you want to be, where you're going to be a world champ, and, and then the real fun's going to begin. I'm excited. I'm really excited about her career. She has a big, bright career in front of her, and she's a couple of way, a couple of fights away from a world title because she fights in October, back at the Seneca, and then uh, November, she'll be back again, and then the first quarter of the year, that's the plan, first quarter of the year for her to fight for world titles. And for anybody listening, that's October 15th. I'm sorry, October 14th. My apologies. October 14th, 14th, at the Seneca Niagara Casino. In Niagara Falls on the state side, New York State. So go it's gonna be a great card. And Micaiah hopefully is way higher up on the card. She took the second flight last time and she brought the whole crowd, which was ridiculous yeah. in my opinion. But yeah, so that, are, are, is that something you're gonna push for also? 
Yeah, we have a great relationship with, with Tutu Savala and all his people that uh, they normally promote the Boxel Telemundo cards, and uh, he's in charge of these cards out there. His son out there in, uh, at the Seneca. This fight will be a six-rounder. Her next fight will be an eight-rounder, and then that's it. She'll be ready to go for the world title. I don't think that the rounds really bother her too much. If it was eight-rounder or ten-rounder, she'd be fine because she's in shape, and she paces herself well, and she's got the tank, and she can go. I'm excited. I'm excited. Her career is about to take off really quick taken off really quick more outside the ring because she hasn't fought in a few months but you're you're i would say you're probably your prize people now um sinicia estrada who just signed with signed with top rank boxing and she's been my goodness like lebron james had a promotion with her she, i feel like she's everywhere outside the ring also because he's such she's such a marketable person she's a great on commentary just a great person how excited are you for her future at top rank yeah it's a you know it's just a beautiful opportunity and and, and something that, uh, that I always want the best for the fighter. And she's no different. She's another one of the fighters that me and her have a really close relationship. You work with someone that long. It's no longer you're like, oh, like I said, that's the reason I don't, the way that I work. The fighters for me are family. And she's definitely, that's definitely a thing with her. It's like family. So I want the best for her. And I'm happy because I've seen all the great things that Top Rank's done for fighters over the years. Like I said, mentioned earlier, Margarito had his whole career at Top Rank, and it was just a really beautiful thing to see all the great opportunities he got. And even when he was in a tough fight, like against Paul Williams, where he came up short, okay, it was just pivot, and then he was right back in the title mix with fights against Centrone, picked up those titles, and had a whole second leg to his career that ended it with big fights against Cotto. Things like that, they serve a purpose, and showing me that top rank sticks by their fighters and uh, really goes ahead and creates the biggest opportunity for them and jamel is also uh, evidence of that and fighter that went on to not only win a world title but defend it successfully and be able to do well for himself and his family and his team and and sanisa's next is gonna get a chance to add to her to her legacy as a world champion and uh, and hopefully over the next couple of years finish writing the story of, of a hall of fame career and we also have Michiel making his debut on a top rank card on september i believe that's Late September, the 23rd, I think. And that's I believe on, the 23rd, uh, yes. Yeah, then that's on the Shakur Stevenson undercard. So I'm excited about that. He's fighting a tough fighter in Orlando Cruz. Uh, I'm sorry, Orlando Gonzalez, a Puerto Rican kid. Has one loss, and he only lost to BC. This is a good fight. Mexican versus Puerto Rican is always a good rivalry in boxing. And, uh, and Misiel is a proud Mexican from Sonora by way of Denver, Colorado. And he's coming to win. He's very excited. Denver, I think old school with ah the Sunshine State. No, Denver, gorgeous. Yeah, gorgeous. yeah. You know, <laughs> it's funny because there's another fighter, like we we're talking about Makai, he's also promoted by Jabel Entertainment. And the beautiful thing with Michiel is that we had signed him in Jabel and I, and then he fought on Showbox card and he was making his debut for us and for Debella and what happened is that he was fighting at 130 and he's a natural 126 pounder. Guys, guys like Jamel fight at 130. Jamel's a huge monster man when he hydrates up. So you can imagine there was a little bit of a side discrepancy on fight night and he was in a tough fight. He he was in it. I thought he was getting the fight going his way and he got clipped and uh, he lived fight another day and that whole experience we talked about it right away. Hey, listen, I think the best thing is for you to move to 126, give yourself the best chance to win. And Makaya, he listened, and I talked with his father, and his father was in his corner. He was a trainer at the time, and I told the father, look, let's bring in a second set of eyes to really go ahead and give Misiel a chance to be the best version of himself. And the father, a great, very humble man, he used to be a fighter himself, 
fully understood that these things happen for a second set of eyes to happen and to be brought in. And so far, ECL's been on a roll and he's making weight and, you know, he's, he's thriving at 126 pounds. So it was a beautiful opportunity for him to be able to fight on a top rank card and uh, on ESPN Plus. And with a win, he'll be around for a couple more fights on ESPN Plus. <laughs> so we're happy. Yeah, and I was going to talk about ECL, but I'm going to go back to uh, um, Sinesia really quickly, if you don't mind. Sure. Number one, in your opinion, what makes her so special? And then number two, how much does she bother you about getting her back in the ring with Marlon? With uh, Mar- Marlon? That's funny. I, look, uh, from the moment I met Sinesia and I went and saw her in the training in the gym, I realized she has a very, she has a very good work ethic. You don't have to get on her about getting in the gym and doing the work. She'll sit there and train for three hours and won't miss a beat, and she doesn't complain. And I knew at that moment that I wanted to help her because she had the discipline, the work ethic, and she's just very humble and genuine. She's a genuine person. She wants to be great. She wants to be great. And when you have a fighter like that, it's human nature. You want to help them, and and we've been able to accomplish some beautiful things. And now, all of a sudden, she's in the position where... She's going to be fighting on the biggest sports network in the world and be seen by millions of people that maybe haven't seen her before. And it, it's great. I'm very happy about that. And I think she's going to she's gonna steal the show soon. And soon enough, she'll be headlining her own cards. And it's a beautiful thing because fighters like that deserve to be on the biggest platform. And, and that's, that's what we're here to do for fighters, help them how we can so that they can go ahead and, and realize their dreams. From my outside view, I don't know her, obviously, like you do. I just know her from being a writer and a fan, it seems to me like every time that she accomplishes a goal, like obtaining a belt, obtaining another belt, unifying, I feel like that just, instead of making her content, that makes her more and more, the more she does, the hungrier she gets. Is that an accurate assessment? Yeah, she has a, I love talking boxing with Sinisa because Sinisa is a, a student of the game. That's what makes her different from a lot of fighters, male and female, because Sinisa enjoys watching the great fight like she watches donald curry she watches sugar ray leonard which is one of her favorites she watches roy jones she watches these fighters from yesteryear that had certain attributes or certain skill set and she learns from them she also likes watching over bird duran and she likes watching fighters that did certain things to be great and she learns from them and she it's the same and when you grow up and you watch those type of fighters you realize that those type of fighters won multiple world titles. They accomplished a lot, and they ruled different divisions. And that's no different than her. She wants to be great, so she has ambitions of unifying 105 pounds, 108 pounds, and eventually collecting belts at 112. And she's just always wants to challenge herself. It makes my job easier, and, and it, it just makes it, it's a pleasure and an honor to to work with a fighter like that. A lot of the things that you said about Tunisia, you also said about Makaya. Is it easier? Is it, are women just more self-motivated and driven? Have you learned in boxing than men? Because I feel like they're always, you never, I've never really ever heard you saying like, Makaya won't go to the gym and work out, or Sanishi won't go to the gym and work out. Are women just more responsive to being great than men, or no? No, no I think it depends on the fighter and their, their mindset, because Lisa's a serious fighter. She takes herself very serious as far as her career. Makaya's the same way. Misiel is the same way. Misiel is a young guy that he has his responsibilities. He has his wife and his kids and his family that he loves and he's a provider and he wants to be great for himself and for his kids he takes his craft very seriously let me see oh 
lives in Denver and he's he's always up there training and running and doing all this stuff. And that's a guy that sometimes you got to pull the reins back because you got to tell him like, hey, take it easy, champ. You're going to, I don't want you to go ahead and, and burn yourself up. That guy takes himself serious also. So he makes his job, our job easier. Our young kid, Matthew, he's been, he came out here and he initially was fighting. I was like super middleweight. Now he's down to like junior middleweight. I think he told us he can make him 47. Because he's been working with the nutritionists and with the strength and conditioning coaches. And, and he's putting in the work. He's putting in the hard work. And Matthew can make 147. He's going to be a problem. He's a, he's a big, tall kid. I think he was Matthew six months, six two, Tall kid. And he's a beast. Fighters like that that are willing to work hard and stay disciplined and live that life, that Spartan life, that sacrifice will pay off. You're going to get what you want in, out of this career. You just have to have the persistence and stick to it. There is no shortcut to success the success comes in doing all the things that, that not everybody wants to do because if it was that easy everybody would be a world champion absolutely I, the wba is trying to make that happen by the way with their 9212 belts they're they're hey, trying to make that they're trying to make everyone a champ if they can hey listen <laughs> look I, I love the wba i've had world champions with them i think that the fighter makes the belts yes. and i think when you have fighters like Sinise is a proud wba champion and Hopefully soon, Makai will be one too. And it's one of those things of where the fighter, if they go out here and they're handling their business, the belt they have is going to be even more coveted because that fighter's handling their business and really conducting themselves like a champion. Also, that's why I say the fighter always makes the fighter makes the belt. Yes. One last question before I let you go, Mr. JC. What is the one? What is the biggest quality that an up and coming fighter can have? that would catch your eye to say, hey, I want to manage this person, his or her, him or her? Just, uh, like, I like I like fighters that have character. You don't have to be perfect, but you have to have character. And, and I don't, look, I grew up humble beginnings. I grew up in the inner city. I, I know that there's challenges in life. I like a fighter that's going to, that understands that everything worth having in life is worth fighting for. And you can persevere and you can get, you, you don't have to be a victim of your circumstances. You can go ahead and, and march to the beat of your own drum and make your own make your own lane. Just stuff like that is what I look for in a fighter. And then obviously if they have talent, I need a fighter to have talent because it's great if a kid is a nice kid. Can he fight? That's the question. Can she fight? It's a question that 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 gets asked. And uh, if it's it's something where where uh, these things are important. Absolutely. JC, this hour flew by quick, man. That was you and I can for the people that don't know. JC and I can talk every time we talk on the phone. A two minute conversation turns into fifty. Because yeah. I just love talking to you because we always have a lot of great stuff to talk about. I just want to say thank you very much for joining us on Inside the Distance. And I yeah, look forward and I, to it. No, I was just going to say, you know, and I want to give a shout out to a, a couple of other fighters that we're going ahead and, and hopefully finalizing the things. But we're going to have big futures together with them. For, for, for everyone that knows, I'm always looking for talent and if it's something that makes sense and the the fighter and us are on the same page then beautiful things happen and i want to give a shout out to the kid they call the hawaii hammer <laughs> he's from hawaii by way of new york and it's jordan panton jordan is is uh, trained by brian valoria and uh, you get the scoop first it's soon to be working with the likes of gary gilson and, and uh, jamel and i so we're really excited about working with jordan just want to know as a pro if anyone wants to look at his amateur record, they can Google him. And uh, he is, uh, his last year as an amateur, he won both the Go National Golden Gloves Tournament and he won the National Championship. So he did the he got a chance to win both 
the big national tournaments and and we're just excited to to have him on board and work with him because he's a great kid and a hard worker like we talked about and he's got a big future ahead of him and then one more shout out to our our buddy tito mercado jr he's gonna be fighting on august i believe august 25th and it's at the oc hangar in orange county so i'll be there uh, by the way great venue he's a lightweight on the move and hopefully after that night he'll be seven and oh seven knockouts and he's somebody that we're very high on and, and god willing uh we were able to go ahead and, and work with him in the near future too we're excited about about the future for our young guys and, and it's going to be a beautiful thing and uh, we also have one more fighter i gotta give her a shout out before and this she's wbc number one ranked at 112 pounds and uh, Jackie Calvo from Mexico, and and she, we're working with her now too. We've uh, we had some plans. We had some plans for our fighters, and we're very happy about the future. Awesome. And JC, where can people find you on social media? On both platforms, Instagram and uh, Twitter. Wildcard King at Wildcard King, like spelled like just like the gym Wildcard, and then just K I N G. And I'm always on on Instagram, and I'm always on Twitter, and I engage. Give me a follow, and I'll I'll talk boxing with you. Awesome. And I highly recommend it because JC is one of the best out there, boxing knowledge and manager. I just want to say thank you again. And everybody, you have just listened to Inside the Distance with Ernie Green. I thank you very much and good night.